Hebrews chapter 2. And uh, we have a little, uh, little booklet with our Hebrews series. If you haven't got a booklet and would like one, a couple of the young people are happy to bring one to you. Just put your hand up and um, there will be one express post delivered today. Amen. Hebrews chapter 2. We're continuing from last week, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, last week we looked at how Jesus is greater than prophets, how, how Jesus is greater than angels. And this, this overarching theme of God said, what has God said to you? What has God said to us? What has God said about us? Do we believe it? Do we trust it? Do we, do we accept it and go, yes, Lord, because you said it, it is, and live accordingly. So let us read chapter 2. I'm going to read chapter 2 uh, today. Last week I showed a video clip. Today I'm going to read the old-fashioned way. So if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, I'm reading from the NLT version. Uh, they're all the Word of God, so um, I trust that the words are similar in your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message of God delivered through angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever He chose. Verse 5. And furthermore, it is not angels who will control the future world that we are talking about. For in one place the Scriptures say, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet you made them only a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honour. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we have not yet seen all things put under their authority. What we do see is Jesus, who was given a position a little lower than angels. And because he suffered death for us, he is now crowned with glory and honour. Yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. Verse 10. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. And it was only right that He should, um, that he should make Jesus, through His suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones He makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. For He said to God, I will proclaim Your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise You among Your assembled people. Verse 13. He also said, I will put my trust in Him. That is, I and the children God has given me. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. 
And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the Son did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. What an amazing chapter. I reckon I have played this chapter on my little MP3 player. I've read this chapter so many times this week. And almost every time I was like, oh, 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 that bit, oh, oh, that bit. Oh, wow. It's, it just comes alive as you let the Word of God wash over you again and again and again. It's not enough for us as Christians just to be a once-off Christian in the sense of, oh, yeah, I've read it and that's it. No, it's this constant reading and washing and listening. It's closeness with God. I wonder if you've ever had instructions before. I have a VT Commodore, uh, the car we purchased so that I could be a, a really good dad and bring me a home from the hospital in a nice car. Uh, it's not as nice as what it used to be, uh, but mechanically it's great. But I thought, you know what, I'm sick of the stereo system. I'm going to put in an MP3 player. So I had some instructions, but they, were, they just seemed so hard. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to pull it apart. So I pulled this dash apart. It was the most torturous experience of my life. I mean, I don't know what you've gone through in your life. I don't know what you face, but the dash of a VT Commodore is a heavy weight to bear. And when I put it back together, proudly my stereo was in there. It just wasn't quite right. It just wasn't how the maker intended it. You see, I knew this, first of all, because I had about 16 screws left over. <laughs> to this day, I have no idea where they go. All I know is that my car creaks a little bit more. It doesn't feel as stable in that area of the stereo and the dash. It's just not quite the same. It's not as finished as what it used to be. It's not as complete. See, I drifted away from the instructions. I went my own way. I drifted away. It wasn't that I didn't have a stereo or I didn't have a dash or I didn't kind of complete the job. I just didn't complete the job the way the maker intended. I just didn't, I just didn't install it the way it was supposed to be. Are you following me? I drifted away. I drifted away. Um, so if we look at Hebrews, we could broadly say that the first few verses kind of capture this, this warning of drifting. And then verses 5 to 18 is, is more of what God has said, in particular about the humanity of Jesus, exploring what God has said. This, this particular chapter, this idea of drifting, is about focusing on the truth, not allowing us to be distracted in any way. Hebrews 2, that chapter we read, is so packed with things we take for granted. So many of the songs we sung this morning are packed with what Hebrews is on about. 
for example, that Jesus overcame death. Salvation is available for all. The family of God, Jesus, our older brother. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. We share the same Father. This is just amazing. Jesus, fully human, overcame death. He now holds the authority. The Holy Spirit is the proof of His victory. All these things that we sing about and we say come out of this amazing book. Importantly, it also says there's no other escape but Jesus. There's no other way but Jesus. There's, there's no other way around it. You know, you can try the law and you can try every other thing, but it's, it's not Jesus. Jesus is the only way. Yet interestingly enough, this particular passage, and, and remember the letter of Hebrews is written to people who, who perhaps you'd call Christians, a letter maybe written to us. It's not so much talking about how to how to deal with maybe rejecting Christ. It's not talking about so much about, about how to become saved. It's, it's talking about not quite being on the mark, drifting, drifting. Let me, let me just press this home a bit further. If I'm flying an aeroplane and, I'm, and I'm, heading, I'm heading on a particular path, if I'm off by just one degree, just one degree, 60 miles, nautical miles into my flight, I am 1,800 metres off my mark. Nautical miles, just replaced with kilometres, you get the idea. I'm in my plane, I'm one degree off where I should be. It seems like I'm on the same path, right? It seems like I'm in, seems like I'm in the right direction. But after 60 nautical miles of travel, I am 1,800 metres off where I should be. The, what, there, there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews and this is the first one. This is the very first warning that the writer wants to make us aware of. The potential, not, not the potential, the likelihood to drift. The likelihood to drift. Over time, you're not where you're supposed to be. You see, Hebrews is not so much interested in saving sinners. Hebrews is interested in you living into the fullness of Christ. It's interested in you being your potential in Jesus. That's what this book is about. I want to show you a photo. This is a Nick Shahadi special photo. I've adopted it as my own. It's probably one of my favourite photos. He says it's a picture of the Syrian desert. There are two paths here. There are two paths. I want you to see how, how early on the paths are together, but as time passes by, they slowly separate. They drift apart. There's a, a drifting that takes place. Now, choose one path to be the right path or the truth. Let's choose this one here for no reason, just so I can do this with my green laser. This is the truth path. You know, as I start heading down this path, I get further and further away from the truth. Yet here's the problem. It's really hard to know that you're away from the truth. Because you know what? It kind of looks pretty the same. Would you agree? If I'm on this road or on this road, I look around and it kind of looks the same. It kind of appears to be the same. In, in Revelation chapter 3, John writes a very powerful phrase that many of you would know. He, he, he says to a church, he's writing to a church, he says, I know your deeds, they're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Drifting is about not holding on to the truth with an appreciation, not holding on to Jesus with an intensity that He deserves. 
He's not number one. Other things come into our life and we slip away and drift away so easily that we're no longer hot, we're no longer cold, we're just lukewarm, we're just in the middle. Drifting is a scary thought for the church. Drifting should be a genuine warning for us as Christians here today. I want you to face this head on that the writer of Hebrews is speaking to us now. This is a warning. We have potential to drift, but hope is not lost. Hope is not over. You see, you see rather than being a, a focus just on salvation, this is, a, this is also a focus about discipleship. It's about growing with Christ, being His disciples, making disciples, doing things that Jesus did, knowing Him and knowing His person, not being scared of death, having no fear of what we might face, because Jesus is greater, He's superior, He's better. It's too easy to drift. This is the substance of the first warning. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift from it. These Hebrew people had drifted from the very core of what it meant to be Christian, from the very best of what it meant to be, from from the main idea they allowed other ideas to distract them from Jesus. Whatever it is that's distracting you in your life right now, the Hebrews would say, that's drifting. And we need to say, Jesus, you are greater than that. Jesus, you are more than that. Jesus, you are better than that and I'm not going to allow that thing to cause me to drift. I'm not going to allow it. When, when the Word says, listen carefully, it's also uh, um, in Scripture as, as being careful, as heeding, as gripping, as being, be- uh, being beware, attending to something, giving attention to. It's not saying when you reject Jesus, saying drift. There's a big difference there. Most people who I would speak with and and pastorally, there's a sense that they're drifting. They would never say, I reject God. They would never say, I reject Jesus. But quite often, they would probably admit to a drifting. You know, it's possible to be in your Sunday best, to sing songs, to put money in the offering, to take communion and be listening right here, right now, and be drifting. It's very possible. I want you to capture this drift idea. It's not a rejection. I want you to think of the story of Esau and the story of Jacob, two sons of Isaac. Isaac um, was a dad. He was busy on his computer. Um, Esau was out hunting. He'd come home. He was starving. He was so hungry he would have made that grazing table nothing yesterday. There would have been nothing left. That's how hungry he was. I don't know if you've ever been hungry before. I know I don't look like I get hungry. But when I was a kid, Pizza Hut used to have all you can eat. I could put that pizza away and send those guys broke. I broke their business plan. And my brothers and other people like-minded, we would go there and you could see the manager sweating as we've continually took pieces of pizza. We ate and ate and ate. You see, Esau was so hungry that he sold his birthright. He said, said, Jacob, give me some food right now. 
listen, have my birthright, who cares? I'm so hungry, just give it to me now. At no point does the Scripture say Esau was no longer a son. At no point does it say that. But what it says was that he, he didn't hold his birthright, he didn't hold who he was closely enough, precious enough, he didn't protect it, he didn't, he didn't hold that in higher regard than his hunger. I wonder if as Christians sometimes we allow our hunger to take over our birthright. I wonder if as Christians we allow our, our hunger for other things, for natural needs, to overtake our birthright in Christ. You see, Jesus is greater. But Esau forgot that. And he wept bitterly. Genesis 25. He wept bitterly. First two thoughts about drifting. And I just, I'm labouring this heavily because I think if you can capture this heart of this chapter, when you read Hebrews 2 again, it'll open up your eyes in a fresh and new way. I want you to picture a boat and, and without an anchor, guess what happens to that boat? It just drifts. It just drifts, yeah? It just drifts. You could be catching the best fish ever. You could be enjoying a seafood barbecue with no flames because there's petrol, so that illustration doesn't work right. You could be on the boat enjoying yourself, but without an anchor, you're drifting. I want to say to you that Hebrews isn't just interested in the anchor. Hebrews is interested in you motoring. Because you know what? Another way to avoid a drift is not just to throw an anchor, but to turn the engine on and power forward. To move in the direction, to know your bearings, to know where the land is and the rocks are, to navigate through on that path that He's got for you and to motor through. Hebrews is interested in you getting to the place where God wants you to get to, not just staying still. Definitely not drifting, but not just staying still, to get to the place where He's called you to be where He's anointed you, uh, he's, he's equipped you, He's gifted you to do good things, to do good works. It's not just about no anchor and drifting. It's not even quite even just about having an anchor there. It's about motoring forward. It's about moving forward. It's about, we would say, maturing in Christ. Maturing in Christ. Maturing in Him. There was, there's also, I reckon, a, a, a second thought about avoiding the drift is, is, we, is motoring forward, but also this sense of urgency. You know, Paul was a bit of an urgent guy. If being urgent wasn't important for Christianity, I don't think Paul would have written about it. I think it's easy for us to pass over some passages of Scripture about urgency. Are you urgent for Christ? Are you urgent for Him? Is there a, a real burning passion and an urgency? Do you, do you treat everything else that you have urgency for, do you treat Christ with even more urgency than that? Whatever, whatever great tasks, whatever great projects you're undertaking right now, your urgency for that, is, is your urgency for Jesus greater than those things? Because for Paul here, he, he writes about running and going for the prize in Corinthians. He, he writes about pressing on. These are, are very active, forceful words. He, he writes in 2 Timothy about a crown. He writes in Hebrews to run. Now, now I'm not known for my running, but I can move when I have to. I'm not known for my running. But you get the picture, Paul is interested are you running? Are you pressing on for the prize? Are you making a difference? Are you, are you 
are you, are you going for that crown? Is that, is that part of your understanding that because you're saved, that's not the end of it? It continues forward. It continues on. You see, Hebrews is not so much interested in the justification that you've received. Hebrews isn't, isn't I mean, it, it declares all that through, but it's not, it's less interested in that. It's more interested in what you're doing with your justification. You might use a word like sanctification, from glory to glory, moving on, growing, extending yourself, doing something for Christ, using the gifts that He's given you and making a difference in the world. It's drifting away from that is what the writer is talking about. It's not your salvation. Put your hand up if you're saved today. Put your hand up if you know the Lord. You know, this church is a non-raising hand church. (laughs) But I know in your hearts your hands are raised. Hebrews is, is of course, is interested in that, but, but really it's about drifting from what you do with that justification. What you do with that. What you do with that. Not just an, it's not just enough to just be on the boat. When you're on a boat, you're, you're safe, right? Let's not worry about the Titanic, but when you're on a boat, you're safe. You're safe. You can be drifting, but you're still safe. You're still on the boat, you're not in the water, you're safe. But something of the warning here kind of says, you know what, that's not how it's meant to be. It's not how it's meant to be. We need to avoid drifting by knowing the person of Christ. We need to constantly be knowing Jesus more and more. That is a great antidote to the drift, to know Him more. You could say that the first few verses, 5 to 9, are are really what God said about the humanity of Jesus and then then it's capturing the salvation of Jesus, His his work of salvation for us from verses 10 to 18. Also, I want you to keep in mind from Hebrews chapter 1, this comparison with angels. Comparison. It comes up a few times as we read through chapter 2. It's greater than angels. One of the driftings of the people who this letter was written to was, was their interest, their deference to angels over Jesus. I had a whole, I had about four slides just packed about angels and I just wanted to share that but I just don't have the time. It's not that angels are bad but they're not ours, they're God's angels and He sends them to help us. They're on mission for God. Who do we worship? We worship Jesus. What does Hebrews say about us? We're brothers and sisters with Christ. In the great ranking and the great hierarchy, angels are are below us because we're with Christ. Yet for a little while we were made lower. For a little while Jesus was made lower. I, I want to just, just capture this thought of the humanity of Jesus. There's a, a television show that I think helps us a little bit. I don't want to trivialise what Jesus did, but I think it's helpful. Has anybody heard of the TV show Undercover Boss? Have you endured an episode or two? So it's, it, you know, people like the Boost Juice CEO, she's on Shark Tank, I love that show. The Domino's Pizza CEO, Hog's Breath Cafe, Big Four Caravan Parks, Australian big-time CEOs have been on this program. And the idea is that they take off their CEO all-powerful suit and, and checkbook and they enter into a lowly position, an average position and not much position. You notice the phrasing I'm using? It's so terrible, isn't it? Because we really do 
rank ourselves like that, don't we? It's true. We really do do that. In God's eyes, there, is, there isn't that. In fact, in God's eyes, it's so much not that, that He became like us. In the same way these CEOs became like their workers. Two things happened I want to just quickly suggest to you. First of all, the CEO got a complete and full appreciation of what a worker has to do and go through. It got a, got a real appreciation of what happens. You know, at church here, before many people rock up, someone fills these cups. You know, but before people rock up, someone's turned the heaters on and people are practicing here. I don't know if you get up in the morning and a cup of tea or coffee's been made for you. Anyone get that this morning? Any champion husbands out there are going to make us look bad? I see one hand over there. Any other champion? Nev, you did that? Two. Wow, that's a lot of pressure. Three. Offer. <laughs> yes, we take an offer. An offer is as good as doing it. Soul to the man in the corner. We have three. Thank you for standing up for us, guys. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it, it's he, it's the, the CEOs fully enter into what their employers have to face and, and they gain a full appreciation of everything there. But you know what happens on the other side of the fence? When the employees realise that it's the big boss, it's like, wow, that boss, like, fully humbled himself. Like, that boss, I've seen the car he, he drives, I've seen the car she, I know where she lives. And, and she was working with me. She was right beside me. Wow, I was telling her what to do. Something happens in the hearts of the people when that CEO steps down. In the same way, Jesus has stepped down into our world fully and completely. He understands, he knows, he's experienced what it means to be fully human. But on our side of the fence, how much more do we look at Christ and go, how can the, the CEO of heaven become human like us? How, how, can, how can divinity be made incarnate in flesh and blood with us? How? That is so amazing. That is so profoundly, that's a game changer. That my God would come and be like me and know me and understand me and know my stresses, know my temptations, know what I face fully and yet overcome and then invite me into his life and his victory and what he has done. It's astounding. Undercover boss has got just a glimpse of what Jesus did by coming to earth. Just a glimpse. Just a glimpse. In uh, verses 6 to 8 of Hebrews, it really picks up again the Old Testament. What has God said? Well, God said in Psalm chapter 8 that, that, that Jesus was made a little lower. And so the writer of Hebrews is taking what's already been said and pointing it directly at Jesus. And if you're one of these Hebrews people that absolutely loves the Hebrew Scriptures, that you've kind of drifted away from Christ a bit and you're really focusing on on what you learnt as a child, you know, memorising Psalms and memorising the Torah and, and all those sorts of things. If you're focusing on that, all of a sudden the writer grabs that and says, you know what, everything you learnt, it's all about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus. It's point, don't, 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 don't think angels are above because someone was made lower. No, Jesus himself was made lower so that, so that he might bring life. He might become life. 
I also want to say that Jesus didn't become an angel, did he? He didn't become an angel. He became us. He became us. Jesus, by this action, placed the highest view possible on humanity. It wasn't angels created in the image of God. It was us. Me. Xi'an, you. If I did that to Nev, it won't have the same effect. Nev, you! Well, actually, it was a pretty good smile, Nev, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you allow yourself time to fully process this? Honestly, do you give yourself time? Or do you just struggle and drift away? And I'm not speaking to those who've got their eyes closed. What about in verses 10 to 18? Um, oh, too much to say, eh? Um, so, 10 to 18, what did God say? Well, well, God again talks about the divine made human in these verses from, from 10 to 13. talks about overcoming death, the prince of death, overcoming the fear of death. If I could, if I could suggest to underline verse 15 as a key for our culture, uh, I would say underline it. You know, people really fear death in our culture. They express it in all sorts of different ways. But there is a fear of death. There is a fear, I'll be honest with you, I have never grown up with that fear. I have been in the house of the Lord my entire life. I, I, I don't understand, I have no concept of fear of, you know, when I die is not something I think about too much. And it's not just because I think I'm far away from it. I just know where I'm going. I just know what it means for me. But you, you cannot tell me how much this weighs on people's lives as their life progresses or if there's someone who's thought it through. What happens after this life? What's the purpose of this life? Why am I here? These questions emerge. What is, you know, I've got the houses, I've got the money. I can't remember, Beck told me someone famous and really rich committed suicide this week or last week. I just can't remember the name. I'm not really up to the fashion had everything, everything, yet threw life away. What would you do if you had everything? What would you do, Arnie Moore? What would you do if you had everything? Oh, well, that's preaching right there, isn't it? Arnie Moore said, I don't know, I think I've got everything already. How beautiful is that, eh? Well, thanks for coming today. Um, that's the end of the... <laughs> Any more preach, we'll be out of here 20 minutes earlier. To help us. Jesus has come to help us. You know that when Peter was sinking in the storm, what did he do? Lord, help! Save me! You know, sometimes we have to humble ourselves to say it. Would you agree? If you're facing temptation today, the last verse of Hebrews says Jesus knows. He's faced it all. He's here to help. What temptation are you facing? 
Oh, Ben, I'm a Christian of 50 years, I can't spell temptation. You know, there's temptation not to do what you should do. Hebrews calls that drifting. There's temptation not to go the extra mile because you can't be bothered or other things come up. That's called drifting. You know, Jesus is here to help. What does it say? It says, it, it says Jesus has gone through temptation. He has faced what you face and He is here to help you. All we need to do is ask. But to ask Jesus something is, is, is a bit of a humbling, isn't it? It's kind of a bit of a, that knee doesn't go down quite the same as what it used to. And I didn't even play footy. Um, that, oh, you know, Johan invited me for bowling at youth on Friday night with the kids. You know, two dads in their 30s trying to show off to the children. And uh, we, we had our fair share of gutter balls, I'll be honest. But, mate, the burning in my thigh and the muscle, oh, man. Yes, it was only bowling. Are you someone who can bow your knee and say, Jesus, help me? Jesus, help me. When you say, Jesus, help me, what you're saying is, Jesus, you're greater. You're greater than X. You're greater than Y. Jesus, you're greater. I just want to close with a thought uh, from another TV show called Who Do You Think I Am? Has anyone seen this before? It's had people on the program like Noni Hazelhurst, Ron Barassi, Jack Tonson, Dennis Cometti, Maggie Beer, names who you probably know. And what the TV program does is it looks into their history or their heritage. It looks into people who are in their family line and, and... and begins to unpack the story of who they are. And so the catchphrase, uh, who do you think you are, when they go through the process of understanding their history and their heritage, it kind of allows them to see with great interest maybe some of the bits about why they are the way they are, about what makes up them. Um, when we went to Canberra six or seven years ago with our kids, we, we did all the museums because they were free and... Um, one of them was the War Museum, and you could type in your name. So I typed in Benithan. A name came up. My grandfather's brother is still MIA, missing in action, somewhere in Papua New Guinea. He was a pilot. You know, when I heard that, I just wanted to know about him. I wanted to know about what was he doing in the plane. Was he a, was he a spy? Is there some James Bond in me? Was he a jet pilot? You know what I wanted to do when I was a kid? I just wanted to fly fighter jets. That's all I wanted to do. That was my dream, to fly fighter jets. As soon as I realised this guy was a pilot, I was pumped. I was excited. I, was, I wanted to know more about him. Before Beck's grandmother died, Pastor House mum, Beck would go around there every week for a few months recording the history, recording stories of her life, of what she remembered, of what she recalled. Why is it that when people are near dying, we can all of a sudden get really clear about what's really important? Why did Beck want to know that? She wanted to know the story. She wanted to, she wanted to capture and understand maybe a bit about who she was as well. She wanted to enter into the biggest story she wanted to know, you know, 
In the same way, Jesus entered into our world and he invited us into his bigger story. He's made you brothers and sisters. You, You have the same father as Jesus. What does that mean to you? What does that really mean to you? That Father Father God, when you say it, does it just roll off the tongue with a just a casualness? Or do you fully grasp the cost that allows you to say it? What would it mean for you to, to, to enter into more and more what Jesus has done? What would it mean for you to to read the Word and learn more about this place, heaven. Learn more about Father God and His heart. What would it mean for you to learn more about what Jesus did just by reading the Gospels? What would it do to you to know that that's now where you come from? How would that change your life? I I think that would stop you from drifting. I think that that would cause us to no longer drift but power on and care for the things that the Master cares about and do the things that the Master did. I think that would cause us to, to hold our drift. If I could summarise. To avoid drift, I think we need to just be aware of the likelihood of drifting in the subtlest, subtlest of ways. If you are a Christian for any more than three weeks... I reckon there's a red-hot chance that you might drift. Maybe you're there right now. The writer of Hebrews isn't saying you've rejected Christ. It's just saying, hey, live your life in such a way that you're going from glory to glory. Can I say this, that I should be more like Jesus today than I was 10 years ago? Can I say that I should be more forgiving in my heart today than I was yesterday. I should be more willing to sacrifice for Him today than I was two weeks ago. I should be more understanding and knowing who Jesus is today. Something should have illuminated in my heart and my spirit. Something should have entered into me that caused me to see something different about Christ today that I didn't know or didn't fully appreciate or didn't grasp completely yesterday. And that's a process that should be happening again and again and again and again. Because if we're not doing that process, we're drifting. We're drifting. In business world, they call it continuous improvement. There are people being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to maintain quality standards that essentially come up with this idea of continuous improvement. You know, Jesus made a way for us to continuously improve. It's not about... It's not about our position in Christ at at risk. It's about doing something with our position in Christ. It's about living to the full of our position in Christ. It's about not drifting on Monday. Because you know what happens after Sunday? Monday. I mean, Jim's got to face thousands of kids every Monday. Can you imagine that? You have this great morning at church and then you know that those little nuggets are going to be there tomorrow. Now, I said that with a little bit of drama because that, that's not my gifting, but God's placed him there. For him, it's not little nuggets. Well, there might be a few. But for Jim, it's where God has called him to be, to make a difference in the world. It's where, jo- it's, it's, it's where Jim has been placed to, to, to bring glory to Christ in the situation where he's at. 
where he said, Johan, you're not just working, but God is working through you in the place where you're at. When Nick has a coffee on the mornings where he sees his friend, he's not just having a coffee, he's there ministering to those around about him. Jeremy, when you're injecting people, You're not just injecting people. You're ministering. You're bringing Jesus into every situation because Jesus is greater than every circumstance you're facing. And you know what? He just wants to work through His people. He just wants to bring His kingdom about. There is glory yet to be, to be spoken about because of what Jesus is going to do through you. I reckon I had a three-hour sermon prepared today. Practice your position in Christ and close with this idea. If you're drifting, if you struggle with disobedience, Jesus is greater. Amen? Just start tomorrow. Don't, don't wait. Forget about what happened yesterday. Forget about what's gone before. Focus on what God's got coming up next. Let Christ's death and his blood wash over what happened yesterday and start tomorrow. When you get home today, get into the word and say, Lord, help me. I want to live for you. I don't want to drift any further. I don't want my mind to drift in those spaces. I don't want my heart to drift in those areas. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these beautiful people. Lord, I pray that we would cry out, help that, Lord, we would not drift because, Lord, you have called us to motor and to power on. Lord, we have every inheritance in you. Lord, you became like us so that you could defeat Satan, you could defeat the fear of death, that you could overcome the world, that humanity could take its rightful place as you've created it to be to be with you, children of God. Father, we thank you that Jesus is our older brother. Lord, help us not to drift. Help us to stay focused on you. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.